Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. Nicole. And I'm Robin. And today on Books That Burn, we are discussing Thirsty by M.T. Anderson. Let's get into our factions. We have Chris, Tom, Jerk, Rebecca, Chris's brother, Chris's parents, Chet, The Thing, Lolly, Assorted Vampires, and The Unnamed Mother. So for our very first topic, uh, we're talking about uh, changelings and child death. This is where the uh, unnamed mother comes in and part of why first i'm gonna briefly say what this moment is Mm -hmm. and then we'll talk about implications and what it means in the context of this book yeah there's a very specific lens that we are gonna look at this through mm -hmm. and it is not changeling miss in general it is incredibly specific to the book the, the only thing you would have to know about changelings, and you could pick it up from the way the text talks about it, is that changelings could maybe look like your baby, but they aren't for some reason. The bare minimum, that's all you'd have to figure out in order to understand what's going on in the scene. And like, it conveys it pretty well, even without that. And, and I say you're in the sense of like, literally anyone who has a baby, maybe it could be a changeling, potentially in this world or whatever. So there's kind of a, the the town that the main character is in is infested with vampires. And I believe the book uses the term infested. It's full of vampires. Other towns have other supernatural things that they're dealing with and do not like. And partway through the book, Chris's mother is watching a news story about a a mother somewhere in one of these other towns who is on trial for murdering her baby. What she did was she took her twin babies and tossed them into the fire because she thought they were both changelings. Only one was, but being human doesn't make you more likely to survive being tossed in a fire. (laughs) Being human doesn't make you less flammable. 
it just makes you less uh, instant consideration. It's still not good. Both babies died. One was a changeling. But now she's on trial for having killed the baby that was human. And there's this moment of just this cognitive dissonance when Chris's mother is giving her opinion on these events. She's She's the one watching it, so she's relaying to Chris what happened. And she is upset that this person killed her human baby because, you know, that's awful. That's murder. You shouldn't do that. But she's totally cool with her having killed the changeling baby. And Chris is like, but she tossed both of them on the fire. She did the exact same action. And in basically, I don't know, it has this feel of like she's being judged based on information she literally didn't have at the time. Um, not this feeling. That's what's happening. She's right. being judged based on something she couldn't know at the time because if her actions would have been completely laudable if both had been changelings or completely condemned. Condemned. Yes, thank you. Was, have, damned wasn't quite the right word. Completely <laughs> condemned if they had both been human. But instead, we have praise for having killed the changeling and condemnation and this court trial for having killed the human baby when at the point that she did the action, she did not know what the end point was. She's being judged for the end when it was impossible to know ahead of time. Now, I, of course, think no baby should have been tossed on the fire, but in the context of this world, for some reason, it would have been some kind of terrible for one for the changeling to grow up or whatever. This book isn't focusing on changelings. It's just that. Yeah. So it's got this. So that's what happened in that scene. <laughs> Your thoughts, Nicole. I I think that. I think cognitive dissonance is, is part of it, but I, I also think that there's just this very ends justify the means feel in this book in general from everybody and this is a a microcosm example of that concept where like well you know if you kill a human child you are not justified but if the same action kills any of the supernatural beings in this book then you are justified and you're lauded and of course you did it you did the right thing you did what you should have done and there is there is a very like murder is not okay if it's a human murder is perfectly fine if you're something else uh and that's not just like a a a feel it's a it's a theme in everything now you say human murder is fine and if it's not, it's not fine. fine but i i i would like to mention that the text and i know you know this i just you know oh. in case anyone didn't read the book that what what they have done is classified certain human death at the hands of other humans as not murder. And so some towns, including in oh, the book, well, apparently Robin, Boston. Rich, yeah. Ritual virgin sacrifice is not murder, according uh-huh. to the book. Because yeah, so this, they the- volunteer, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that's the uh, difference here is that that it, 
the book does classify it that way where if you are being put up for sacrifice they don't call that murder because it's a whole exactly. community thing so no because well, in as, this book concept, human murder is still a problem it's still not I, okay but in certain places we don't call it murder and no, we don't call saying, it murder yeah. if you're not human and we call it murder if a non-human commits it and there it, there's so much fine lines in wiggle room but essentially what it what it boils down to is if the humans do it to harm non-human creatures it's fine <laughs> right in and the that world includes, of the book unless yeah. unless you're a baby that just happens to die <laughs> like there's 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 so much of just and and like, it's kind of a weird <sighs> thing because um in this book we have a vampire race that is legitimately a predator to the humans Mm-hmm. You know, there's no evidence, which is kind of, I, this is probably the first vampire related thing I have ever seen or read where this is true. There's no evidence of a vampire being able to like feed on you and have you survive and be fine later. It seems to read that the only outcomes are death turning into a vampire somehow or they didn't touch you. Yeah. And so in the book, it is set up where the vampires are the predators. They're the carnivores hunting the humans. And so the humans are are essentially saying, well, you know, if if we let you live, we are guaranteeing that we are dying. And and there's but for the vampires, it's a question of like kill or die, starve to death. And there there's no. It it feels like a scenario where, and it not just feels like in other books there would be a middle ground, but this book specifically sets it up so that there seems like there is no middle ground, intentionally. Right, and when you have so so murder at its core is death that the power structures or society are not okay with. Like that, yeah. That's what makes something classified as as murder. Um, yeah. Well, I should say, I mean, uh, in the human court, a um, death inflicted on another being that society is not okay with. Um, that that's be, be, that becomes the difference between killing and murder, and so that's why you end up with like you know things, something like an execution that the state wants to have happen like the state's like no 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 totally not murder this is definitely different from whatever the this person did to make us want to kill them but then people looking at it who aren't okay with that person dying for whatever reason either because they were actually innocent or just for whatever they're like no 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 what the state's doing is murdering and so Murder is death that we do not accept as justified or okay. And that's, I think, what, in the real world, that's part of what leads to a lot of really complicated discussions about, like, what actually is murder. In the world of this book, murder is any death that the local governments aren't okay with and they're apparently totally cool with changeling baby dying and not at all okay with 
the similarly situated human baby who dies. Well, and and I again should... cannot em- cannot emphasize too much. The person didn't know which one was. Didn't even know for sure that she had a changeling child. That was right. not a con- like. She went, "Oh no, I have twins." What if she thought they were both changelings? Yes, yes. And she was wrong on one kid. And she could she have had she could have had two human babies and had no like there's no evidence of any actual um I guess like ability for humans to differentiate changelings. So this they, this reminds she me just, of, she just assumed. This reminds me a bit of a thing that happened um in Buffy, there's a bit where someone yeah. stakes someone that they think is a vampire and they're actually a human. And so here's the thing. <laughs> Staking somebody in the heart will kill them even if they're not a vampire. And right. so then, <laughs> right. So that's like the similar kind of situation that we have here where um, it, once you decide that what you're going to do is toss two babies into a fire, you have decided that you do not want to have either baby anymore. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it, no matter what, one of the deaths is going to be like a little more visually flashy because apparently of the way changelings die, but they're not, you're, it's yeah, not you, you have like decided, this would get a baby back. You have decided that child murder is your goal. Yeah. Whether that child is human or non-human, you, you don't care anymore at that point. Yeah. Uh, it, on it, I mean, like, there's, it, it's, it's a very, it, it's a and very like, if I can't have the 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 perfect kid that for sure, and I've decided that I can't for some reason, then death is what I am okay with. Like, it's a very, yeah, very fatalistic. Very, I am deciding that nothing will will live with me. Yeah. And then pulling, you know, briefly back to Chris, I think uh, because because this interaction is fundamentally between Chris's mom and Chris, because, you know, we've been calling this person who did this thing, the unnamed mother, because like, we don't know. She's literally a person on the TV. Yeah. In this book. And so what this does is confirm for Chris that it's not going to matter that he is his mother's son because he is also a vampire. And this is a scene, I think, that confronts him with the thing that has been true for longer than he has been alive, but he has never had to confront it until now. And I feel like that thought is a great place to head to our next topic. I I actually have one more thing on this one. Okay. Um, I just want to point out that all of this is from a human perspective because mm-hmm. Chris is living in the human community for the entire book. Um, but the vampires consider killing a vampire murder also. Yeah. <laughs> and do not consider killing a human murder. Yeah, that's what I was saying. You know, um, murder is whatever death is not sanctioned by the authorities and or community. And the right. vampires but we, we, have a but community. But you said that yeah, when yeah, we yeah. were talking in the context of the human government. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to clarify. Absolutely. We get the human perspective for most of this book. But it is definitely that 
every community thinks they are right. It's just that our our protagonist is living in the human area, and essentially is emotionally and mentally aligned with the humans for the majority right, of right, the book. Right. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things that I kind of love about this book is that, like, everybody sucks. Like, none of the characters are, like, good. Uh, Even the one, even Chris is trying to be, but is just uh, bad at it. Um, So, here talking about bullying uh i mean the most basic thing but if you listened to our our character list we mentioned someone named jerk yeah i believe his name is actually michael i know it started with an m the book only says it like once because at some point his friends started calling him jerk and it has the feeling of like he was kind of uh, terrible when he was six or something like some really young age and then now he is not physically imposing during and post puberty and yet everyone still calls this nickname that implies that he must be a bully or something but he is so bullied like so much like oh my goodness And then Tom is just sexist and mean, and everybody's got ableist language when talking about the vampires. We're going to talk about that more in our later section, but, like, because vampirism involves, or can involve, like, literal cognitive deterioration, it makes it ripe for all of this ableist language when talking about vampires. Yeah. Well, and especially as some of the... It's... It's some of the symptoms that people can see from the outside um there there's some yeah we'll talk about that later (laughs) but with the bullying yeah with with the bullying everybody is mean to everybody else there's there's also just some like general threatening like well you know you have to do this thing or you you are you you have to prove yourself to us Mm -hmm. that happens from vampires to chris that happens from humans to chris (laughs) essentially prove that you're really a vamp that you're gonna you know be a good little vampire or prove that you're human not explicitly because people have kind of made up their minds but um there's very much a like pass the test kind of a mentality in general yeah with with the human bit actually also with the vampire bit, a lot of it has the slant a lot of has has the slant of given that your identity is X, obviously you would do Y. Right? Why aren't Why aren't you doing Y? What's going on there? And so they get that from the vampires, where it's like, what do you mean you haven't killed your first human yet? And you get it from the humans, where it's like, why don't you want to like be social and hang around us like all the time? And I, me, I would say. <laughs> Maybe it's because you guys are all terrible. Like, you're all terrible. You're all sexist. You are 
not racist in a skin color sense, because if there are characters of color in this book, they weren't called out in a way that I recognized. It's very, but they're racist against literally anyone that's a magical anything. And there's, you're just, and you insult each other, and you decided that one of you was just going to be called jerk for the rest of his life, apparently, and he doesn't like it, and you don't care. And there's all this social pressure. It's just awful. It is, I, uh, it's just so bad. Like, everyone's terrible. And, but not in a, therefore they deserved to die way, more of like a, like, it's not quite at that level. It's just, oh, these are middle school kids. They're yeah. middle school kids. They still have that. Well, it's, it's the adults too. It's not, it's the yeah. whole culture. I, I don't want to blame yeah. this on being middle school. It is all of the adults that we talk to as well. This is true. But for Chris, Michael. Her experience or, yeah. is, yeah, Chris's experience is, is. Yeah, Chris, Jerk, kids. and Tom, and, uh, and Rebecca, like, all of that. That's just like. Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, I didn't really have a friend group, but I'm just kind of glad I didn't have a friend group like that in middle school, because that seems... Oh, um, if you're not from the US, when we say middle school, we're just referring to ages roughly like 12, 11, 11, 11, 11 to 14. 11 to 14, maybe. Yeah. 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 It's just... It's just so bad, and they're all terrible. But not, yeah, again, I should say not terrible in a deserves to die way. No, just really, (laughs) really, really mean to everybody else. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be with you at a party kind of a way. And the, I mentioned, okay, I know not in a deserves to die way is kind of like an oddly specific caveat. I made that caveat because... The casual bullying that they engage in ends up precipitating vampires murdering a bunch of them because they're, they, throughout this book, they clearly do not understand what to do when someone says, no, I don't like that, don't do that. And so then when one of the vampires is being um, videotaped and the other vampire with her doesn't like that. Now, he he doesn't like it because she's not going to show up on film and that's going to out her as a vampire. Right. But all the kids know is someone is saying, hey, my friend doesn't like being videotaped. Don't do that. You better stop. And they're like, ah, that's so funny. We're going to keep taping. And then the vampires kill them. Well, and and, a bunch of them. And there's a lot of it where, like, there's this really weird mix of there are very particular signs that somebody is a vampire that you Mm -hmm. that are very visible and very clear to see when they occur. They don't occur all the time, but when they happen, they are they're unmistakable. Yeah, they're they're not something humans can do by accident. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is not show up on film very well or not reflect in in uh not have a reflection in general actually. Mm-hmm. It's not specifically mirrors, it's at all. Um and then like f- you know physically seeing fangs or whatever. Like those are not things that humans can just fake in the in a moment. 
And so there's a lot of this like subtle bullying that happens because if you're a human who just doesn't like things like photography, you are flagged as a vampire because if you're caught on tape and it's fine and you just don't like it, then the humans aren't going to care. But if you're caught on tape and you're not on tape because you're a vampire, so you're not showing up, then they're going to kill you. And so there's no room in this community, in this in this society for people who just don't like having their picture taken or just don't like being on camera because the assumption by everybody else is that that means that you now deserve to die because you're clearly a vampire trying to hide it. And so the vampires almost in this instance are are literally in working in self-defense whether or not they would have killed those people anyway because mm-hmm. they they're being kind of put in a spot where it's like, well, you know, we can't say no. <laughs> and and it's and the the thing about this particular situation is it's not that the people are wrong. But there's uh-huh. no room for a human to also have that opinion at all. And also, they weren't trying to tape them to see if they were vampire. They were no, just like just, they were just taping doing stuff. what's going on at the party. Yeah, and and it just it is just thinking about it now that you're saying that because I'm like, oh, I would have so been flagged as a vampire in this world <laughs> for no reason other than hating images of me because I was dysphoric. Like that's. That's it. But that would have been really, really suspicious here. Yeah, it just it's it's not to the extent of, oh, the humans were right to do the thing because they were doing it in a bullying way and they weren't trying to see if people were vampires for safety. They were just not considering other people's boundaries and they had no positive social reasons to think that those boundaries were important yeah uh and then there is one more thing related to bullying and are people vampires where jerk and tom mostly tom but jerk's also there take chris into the woods to go vampire Mm. hunting and chris thinks let's go vampire hunting means they know he's a vampire and they're going to kill him and he goes anyway Uh, okay i chris is not yeah chris does not make good decisions Chris has no survival instincts for for either humans or vampire. He just doesn't have them. <laughs> he has no perception of anything that would keep him alive in in either community at all. Nothing, none. Becoming a finding out that he's a vampire and losing his reflection causes him to be self-reflective for what feels like the first time in his life, and unfortunately for him, it is literally too little too late. Yeah. He's like, hmm, maybe it's bad that we've been calling this person jerk for years. Oh, well, gonna keep calling him jerk because I don't know what else to do. Yeah. And he so he goes into the woods with them and he thinks they might know he's a vampire and want to kill him. And he's just like, well, I guess this is what's happening because these are my only friends. And if I don't have them, I don't have anything except a crush on rebecca that i'm too scared to do anything with well so i guess if they just go into the woods and kill me i guess that's what happens like he he doesn't want anyone to hate him he doesn't know how to be good he has no option that lets everyone like him and so for the, kind of the first half of the book he just does whatever jerk and tom want to do and then he does whatever chet wants him to do 
And then at the end, he's just he's just screwed. Cause because he got bullied by everybody into everything because he didn't want to take a stand against any of it. And then he did take a stand. Kind of. Kind of. Uh, he didn't really take a stand. He didn't he take a Jet's stand. Orders. He didn't take a stand. He just had a an emotional meltdown <laughs> over yeah. just the pressure and the not no not being in control of everything at one point. But that's not taking a stand. He literally just yelled for a little bit and then was done. Yeah. Like Yeah. <laughs> that's it's great. It. And, that's all. You know, that's great and cathartic emotional release, but also it did not help him when he very literally needed help uh, that was more than venting. Yeah. All right. So as we're speaking about Chris not making great decisions, uh, especially as the book goes on, there's some reasons for that. On to our next topic. On to Chris and cognitive deterioration. So in this book, we're told that vampires can either drink blood or literally go insane, have like this extreme cognitive deterioration. And we see this with Chris. It it, it does appear to be a um, physical medical reality. That if they don't get blood, then their brain stops caring about anything other than obtaining blood. And if you're starting with a kind of human version of mental normality, then changing to only be able to think about drinking blood is is a kind of insanity. And since Chris has a very human-oriented mentality... He he definitely seems to view this possibility and eventually this reality as a, a very bad thing. And I just I mentioned this mostly because I, I don't want it to feel like we think, ah, oh, the book said the vampires go crazy, and so hey, they're crazy. No, that's not it. It's that he if if a mental illness is a is something that is distressing to the person who has it. This is very distressing to Chris. Yeah. Um, he, he hates this. He doesn't want it. And literally the last pages are him fighting to the very end to try and not be this. And he can't because it's a thing that's happening in his brain and his body that he can't stop. And also it attempting to not drink other people's blood since his body won't let him not drink blood. He self-harms at one point. He drinks his own blood all to try and not hurt other people. Yeah. Like, it's, it's really brutal. Um, which is why this is our, our major topic. So other than uh, listing more things that he <laughs> does that are self-harm in the book, what are your thoughts on this? Um I I th- I think that there is 
there's a couple of things that that kind of go on with this because there are so first off we have a a a cognitive malfunction that is happening that he can feel a mm-hmm. physical actual thing where essentially it is the vampiric bloodlust because he's starving to death and that's all his body can handle um we have that which we get from his perspective but then we also have quite literally supernatural beings visiting him and talking to him and making noises and casting spells that only he can see that his family notices and his friends notice Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he knows that these things are real Mm -hmm. and he can see them and interact with them and talk to them. And and this is not by the way, a, Oh, we find out at the end that it was all in his head. Like, no, they are actually legitimately real, but they are not other vampires. Other vampires interact with Chet. So like, we definitely know in the book that, chet is real and by extension the thing is real because chet interacts with the thing yeah we have we have some we have pretty solid proof as a reader that those things are legitimate and real and happening and not things that his brain is making up but the humans can't see them Mm -hmm. and so there's a there's a couple of different moments where well and also uh can't see them unless they decide to be seen i should say because his two best friends do also see and talk to chet at one point Mm-hmm. Uh, and drive it and ride in his car um but there's there's a couple of moments especially with his parents with his mom where his mom wants to know why he's yelling and nodding at things in the corner that don't exist and what is going on and like the answer is she just can't see the two creatures in the room um so we have mm-hmm. this like parent concern of like oh no what is going on with my child and his mental health thing and then on the other, other, other side, we have Chris's increases paranoia about interacting with or being seen with or knowing that other people are vampires around him and being kind mm-hmm. of connected to them. Because there's something with like their shadows or there's something. They have two shadows. Vampires yeah. have two shadows and other vampires can see it, but humans can't. Uh, and so mm-hmm. vampires can identify each other in that way. Uh, and so there's this one there's this one instance when he's at McDonald's with his brother and his I think his brother's best friend probably um, mm-hmm. and you know they see a group of, of girls and one of them is a vampire and Chris immediately has this like panic attack of that centered around how do I not get noticed like how do I keep the other vampire from knowing I'm here which doesn't work but it but the thing that he ends up doing is like cowering on the floor in the back seat of his brother's car for no reason refusing to talk and hiding his face out of nowhere and like his his brother is just kind of like what is happening and when the girls come up and talk to them because of course they do there's no he doesn't actually Mm -hmm. get to hide they are kind of like is your brother okay is he always like this what's going on and tom is over here like (laughs) (laughs) like i don't know he's he's usually fine but there's there's this like there there's just this there there's like three different things kind of interlocking here that all yeah. really set it up to be that Chris both feels and looks like to other people that he is slowly 
losing at least a grip on reality and what is happening. Yeah. And there's also like... And control over his own body. Mm-hmm. Too, at some level. And like there's ableism in how they talk about the vampires. Because yeah. it's like, oh yeah, you know, like, you know, and, and ableism from vampires too, because yes. they, they, because... The, the mental deterioration only happens if you're not drinking human blood. Right. And so There's almost a, the, like a shaming aspect of like, oh, cognitive decline, I see. Better go murder <laughs> to fix that. And he's like, I don't right. want to. And they're like, you what? Why? And it's, it's yeah, it's a lot. They of can't that. understand that he still views humans as people when they don't. And the humans don't understand why anyone would view vampires as people when they don't. Right. And he's in the middle and he's like, we're all people and I do not want to kill anyone. Right. I guess, you know, it's part of his indecision because he could he could make the now I want to be very clear, this is not an advocation for suicide. It's just no. literally he has three choices. His three choices are start drinking human blood and fully be a vampire and he will live a long time and he'll be responsible for other people dying. Or he can refuse to drink blood, let the mental deterioration continue until he is probably going to kill someone, but he is not going to have um, any kind of rational control over how it happens because the, the way vampirism has twisted his mind leaves only seeking blood as an option. Or his third choice, which is technically a choice, but not one that's brought up in the book much, is that he could kill himself because if he killed himself, he then wouldn't kill anybody else and wouldn't have his body killing someone when his mind is gone. And... Oh, also, that is kind... There's also a a related twist to that. Oh, yeah. He thinks up. Nobody Mm -hmm. else says this to him, but he thinks of this. I think, oh no, maybe one person might mention it. But technically he has the route of suicide by cop. Mm-hmm. That is a, a thought that he has a lot, which is yeah. I could turn myself into the police and then mm-hmm. the crowd would murder me. Yeah, because vampires, and the book uses the word lynch. Um, that is oh, how yeah, they are described true. in here. Um, he could He could set himself up to be lynched not for having killed anyone, but literally just for literally being just a vampire. Because yeah. the humans, they don't wait once they figure out someone is a vampire. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think one of the... I... Yeah, the way the book chooses to use that word, because that is describing literally what's happening. Like, it fits and it works, but I will say it is rather shocking to read with how many times the word lynch is used um to literally describe what is happening i it is the appropriate word it's just yeah it's it's not hyperbole it is accurate no it no it it is accurate it's and it is a fantasy racism version of it but i don't know it just it it doesn't have great parallels to real world racism and i don't think it's trying to i want to be pretty clear about that i don't right. think it's going for that it's just no it's it's literally just an accurate word for what is happening yeah it's just you know not one that i read much in my casual fantasy reading <laughs> so um but yeah so 
I, the, to me, and I, I mean, you might be able to like figure out which route he does with all the other stuff that we've said about Chris and like his goals and things. But for me, the last lines of the book are absolutely haunting. And I do not want to try and spoil or quote them. I just, you know, if when I was in middle school, I first read this and that the ending lines of the book were one of the two main things that stuck with me years later. It's like they were the only two things I could, the only things I could remember about it was the very end of the book. And then um, the scene at the vampire dinner party partway through. Mm -hmm. And those just like really, really stuck with me. Now the changeling scene sticks with me much more. (laughs) Um, But but the ending is still is still very haunting. And this is absolutely a horror book. Like it is. It's it's fantasy horror, and it's really good. And I I just love how hard it went for everyone is terrible. Like, literally everyone is terrible. And once it did that, it just, I really like the way it explored it. Anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Well, hey there, nerd. Do you run games of Dungeons and Dragons, play the good sweet game, or want to but have no idea where to start? Well, come on over and listen to Crit Chat, a D&D advice podcast with a rotating cast of experienced DMs just waiting to give you all the best tips and tricks to make your games of Dungeons and Dragons the very best they can be. From how to run a campaign for first-time players to which monster in the manual is the most dateable, we've got it all. Find us by searching Crit Chat on your favorite podcast app or under podcasts on iTunes. Warning, Crit Chat is obligated to talk about goblins at least once per episode. Anyone listening to this podcast may experience feelings of desire towards them and many other fantasy creatures, including but not limited to centaurs, satyrs, the inevitable, flumps, various golems, thrykreen, animated armor, shield guardians, cadaver collectors, any and all demons, and if you're kinky, the rug of smothering. On to the wrap-up and ratings for the gratuity rating for death. What do we think? So, okay... Specifically, we're referring to a, a particular child death, which is literally off screen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one's pretty straightforward. Yeah. There is a lot of other death, but this particular child death, it's off screen. Now, there is, I think there's on screen child death. So just, oh, 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 warning there. Well, yeah, the particular one we are talking about, though. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't want then I just don't want someone to get the impression that there are no on-screen child deaths cuz Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sh- sure there are. 